Would you pray with me these words again real quickly? Glorious Lord, thyself impart, light of light and God proceeding, open thou our, our ears and hearts. Help us by thy spirit's pleading. Hear the cry thy people raises. Hear and bless our prayers and praises. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. I am, uh, as Peter said at the beginning of the service, I am Darren Duke and my uh, Maggie and and our kids, Sam and Helen. uh, And uh, we have five other children who are not with us. Uh, They're uh, out of the house now, Um, sometimes happily, sometimes we miss them. Uh, But we were with them this weekend, and so we saw many of them. But we're thankful to be here since 2019. Um, I did complete a, a long military career, and the only stat that I will provide you, uh, that Peter didn't provide, is that we moved 19 times in 30 years. I moved Maggie that many times, so I say that not to boast. I think that was a, that's a sign of addiction, actually, I think. But um, what I will say is that it's, it shows you, it should give you some indicator about how glad we are to, that God has settled us here in Christ the King, and we get to dwell with you and live in community here with you for these, uh, for these past several years and hopefully several years into the future. So uh, we're, we're happy to be here and happy that we can uh, be with you this morning. Um, I am a student of uh, Semitic languages at the Catholic University now, and uh, the reason I am doing that, nothing related to my military career, is that I've always been fascinated since I was a young boy with the the text of Scripture uh, and the languages they're written in, because I believe that they're a doorway to understand uh, what God did in the places and times and among the peoples where he uh, spoke and acted. And both of our Scripture readings this morning are about just such occasions. And so for the next few minutes, we're going to consider God's instruction uh, to the Israelites from our passage in Deuteronomy. There are, um, as you know, the last three weeks we've been uh, looking at, uh, uh, in a series on the images of the Savior, the Messiah who was to come. We're nearing the end of this series, and uh, four weeks ago we looked at the descendant of Eve who had crushed the serpent's head. Uh, Three weeks ago, we saw Jesus as the seed of Abraham, in whom all the nations of the world would be blessed. Two weeks ago, we saw that Jesus is a king in the line of David who will rule in true righteousness and justice. And today, we are considering Jesus Christ, the living word, a prophet bringing God's word in the manner of Moses. And not to depart from David Glade's tradition, there are, of course, three main pieces of good news that I want to share with you out of this passage this morning that I want us to consider. First, God is not silent. He speaks to us in his word and he provides in it everything that we need. Second, God spoke long ago by the prophets until it was his good pleasure to send us Jesus Christ, the living word. Third, finally, uh, though God speaks to us, God still requires us to exercise discernment and and judgment when coming to his word and understanding it. Deuteronomy records the final instruction and preparations of the Israelites as they prepared to cross into Canaan and to inherit the land that God had promised. The title of this book, Deuteronomy, means second law, and it's a recapitulation and an expansion on the law that Israel received at Sinai at the beginning of their desert wanderings. In the text just prior to our reading, and this is very important for understanding why God is saying what he's saying in our passage this morning, God has just warned the Israelites not to adopt the practices of those nations which uh, the Israelites are about to dispossess. These included infant sacrifice, divination, 
fortune-telling, interpreting omens, sorcery, and inquiring of the dead. For whoever does these things, says Moses, is an abomination to the Lord. He tells the Israelites that this is precisely the reason these other nations are being kicked out of the land. Now we know from both the biblical record, as we have here, and we know from extra-biblical records, that this portrait of these pagan societies is very accurate. There were seven peoples that lived in the land, uh, Canaan at the time, and we know from uh, both written and archeological records that they practiced these, uh, these, these things. Their devotion to their localized deities all included child sacrifice and other things as an attempt to cajole or placate, get the attention of, to flatter or even to arouse uh, these very limited deities to act on their behalf. For example, when their crops would fail or when their, um, when their flocks would not uh, bear, uh, bear young. So this is the context for God's instruction to the Israelites in our passage this morning. What important lesson is God teaching his people here that they will need as they prepare to enter the promised land? Well, the first is that God is not silent. He provides the truth about himself, his world, and our place in it. In addition to giving Israel a land and making them a great nation and adopting Israel as his own people, he also promised not to leave them in silence, but to guide them into life and truth by a sure word from him. I'll use an example from my military career as a story of, uh, or as an example of this. When I was still in uniform, I was on an exercise flying in a long helicopter flight at night, and the weather conditions changed around our aircraft, and we were all of a sudden in the middle of a cloud bank. Now, any of you who've flown in, in uh, helicopters know that clouds and fog and helicopters do not go together. And our helicopter was not outfitted with the avionic systems to, to handle that situation. And all of a sudden, the helo began to tilt to the right and, to, uh, and head downward in a, a, a downward uh, spiral. Um, we were flying a flight profile of uh, 3,000 feet or less above the ground because of the type of mission we were flying. And so the pilot had very little time to correct for his error. The truth is, is he could not correct it because he had developed vertigo. Despite the instruments in front of his face telling him where to fly and how to fly. He took a uh, tight turn and a steep dive, and every other sense in his body was convincing him that what he was doing was correct. Thankfully, his co-pilot calmly spoke to him, keeping him informed of the truth. And finally, the pilot admitted over the, uh, the inter internal communication system, we heard the words, I've got vertigo, you take the controls. And immediately came the response from the co-pilot, I have the controls. And within a few seconds, the helicopter righted itself and began to climb, and then in a few seconds, we popped through the cloud bank at about 4,000 feet into a beautiful star-filled night sky where all the other aircraft in our flight were waiting for us. The pilot with vertigo is like the pagan nations in Canaan. Despite the reality of the world, he was giving into his misguided senses, this pilot was. He stated the controls, and he, had he stated the controls, all of he, uh, he and all of us on the aircraft would have perished. In the same way, all the nations were manufacturing ways to connect with the divine, and none of them were working, and all of them led to death. The co-pilot in, in my story is like what Israel was called to be. He stayed focused on the instruments, and that those instruments told him the truth, and because he listened to the instruments, we all survived, and I'm standing here now to share it with you. God did not want the Israelites to attempt to communicate with their departed ancestors, or consult those in touch with the spirit world, or to trade the lives of their children for some ambiguous oracle from a local fertility uh, deity. 
God wanted them to listen for his voice, and in that voice he promised them that they would live. So God promised to raise up a prophet in each generation to speak for him. And he promised that when that prophet opened his mouth, he says in verse 18 of our passage, I will put my words in his mouth, and those are the words that you will hear. From the vantage point of hindsight now in redemptive history, we can see now the outline of what God said through the prophets that he sent. In the book of Judges, right after the law, as Israel goes through the land, the prophetess Deborah, during the initial conquest of Canaan, assured the Israelites, I will give the Canaanites into your hand. Then came Samuel uh, as Israel sought to have a king, and he said, I have provided a king for myself among the sons of Jesse. And then during the reign of King David, Nathan the prophet comes to David and says, The Lord has said, I will raise up your offspring after you, and I will establish his kingdom. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. And then after the kingdom had been divided because of Israel's sin, he raises up Isaiah, and Isaiah comes and says, God has said to tell you, comfort, comfort my people. Say, says your God, speak tenderly to Jerusalem that her warfare is ended and her iniquity is pardoned. And at the same time, Micah, as the invaders were devouring the land of their inheritance, says, And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming. Who can stand when he appears? God has not been silent. God has always provided his people with what they need in his word. They were not always receptive or interested in hearing from him, but he was always there speaking through them. Now, over the centuries, the arc of prophecy spans cycles of disobedience, defeat, and dislocation, and renewal, until we hear John the Baptist at the end of the prophetic age say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Which brings me to my second point. In Jesus Christ, God the living word has now come to his people. In this passage in Deuteronomy, Moses relates that in a previous conversation with God, or God to Moses, rather, God said, um, when Israel heard all the sounds and saw the fire and the lightning on Sinai, they came to, um, to Moses literally as one people. It says, in the, in the language, it's a singular. Uh, Israel, as a, as a single person, came to Moses and said, please do not let us hear the word of the Lord anymore, lest we die. Now, the Lord's response was curious. Notice he didn't say, that's okay, I won't bite. Instead, he replies that the people were right to be afraid. He did not say that they, that they were right to be afraid because he intended to destroy them. Otherwise, he would have left them in slavery in Egypt and would not have brought them out. Rather, he acknowledges that in expressing this fear, Israel was in touch with their weakness and their vulnerability and, frankly, their unfitness to see God face to face and to hear his voice directly. So consider here the mercy of God. He knows their fear. He knows their vulnerability and their weakness. He knows their sin. He knows that the words that they hear that should bring life, they hear as words leading to death. And so he promises to speak to them in a way that they can understand and in a medium that they can face. He promises that in each generation they will not lack a word from him. And so he does, sending them prophets to guide, to rebuke, to correct, to encourage and to remind them of the promises and to remind them to live holy lives before him. And finally, in the fullness of time, he speaks one final word. And this time, not a deadly word that brings fear, but the life-giving word. 
The words on the front of your bulletin this morning are a song from Michael Card, one of my favorite artists, and he says this in the this, in this song. When the Father's wisdom wanted to communicate his love, he spoke it in one final perfect word. He spoke the incarnation and so was born the Son. His final word was Jesus, he needed no other one. He spoke flesh and blood so he could bleed and make a way divine. And so was born a baby that died to make it mine. Jesus of Nazareth, born of the Virgin Mary in Bethlehem, came as God's fullest and final communication of God himself, the living word and the life-giving word. For this reason, every week at the Lord's table, we hear the words that may pass right by our ears, but mean so very much. For he is your living word from before all time and for all ages. And then far from the fire and smoke and thunder of Sinai, far from the fear of death that struck the hearts of the Israelites, God now kindly feeds us. Jesus Christ, the living word, imparts his eternal life to us, even as God has promised. So the third point is God's revelation still requires discernment. Now in verse 20, God preempts the anticipated question of prophetic misinformation, prophetic fake news, we might call it today. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, that prophet uh, in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. Now notice there are two kinds of false prophets here. The first prophet says that God said something and he says it in God's name and God didn't command it. Those are like false prophets in the day of Jeremiah who said that Israel would live in peace and that the invaders would not take the land. When in fact, and God raises up Jeremiah to say, they preach peace and peace and there is no peace. You should prepare for exile. I will sustain you through it, but into exile you will go. And then there is another type of false prophet that says things in the name of another deity. And regardless of whether it's true or not, Israel is not to listen to them. And that would be like in the Bible, the story of Jezebel, uh, the, the wife of King Ahab in, in the Israelite kingdom, who brought in the worship of Baal, who was a Phoenician deity to the north. Um, and, and they lured Israel, the nation of Israel in the north, the kingdom, northern kingdom, into disobedience. In essence, God says, these are the worst kind of people because they lead you away from me, the source of life, and to the same darkness and death in which the nations in Canaan live before you. For this reason, I reserve my harshest judgment for them. So to put this back into our aviation scenario that I was talking about earlier, the false voices seek to induce a spiritual vertigo in us. We see God's word in front of us telling us where to go, and yet these other voices would tell us to act against the truth. So the Lord calls his people to discern between true and false revelation. We would like to think that since we have God's fullest revelation of himself in the Bible, and we have the Holy Spirit in, in inhabiting and enabling the church, that therefore all the work is done. But that's not the way God has ordered the world. The Apostle Paul tells his protege Timothy this, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And it's the hardworking farmer who ought to have first share of the crops. Think over what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. We are called to be diligent listeners, those who hear and know God's word with open ears and eyes and think diligently and purposely about what he is saying to us. We all get vertigo of the soul from time to time. But when we open our ears and listen and think on it, we will hear the voice of Jesus speaking. There are some of you who are feeling alone and isolated today. To you, he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. There are some of you who feel disconnected during this holiday period that's so difficult for many. To you, 
Jesus speaks directly and says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. There are some of you who are facing life-threatening situations. To you he promises, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who uh, lives and believes in me shall never die. God's word will never fail to reach his people. He has come to us in flesh and blood. Let us listen faithfully to him. Let us be people who, like hardworking farmers, share in the produce, who, like athletes, compete and win. If we listen diligently, we will hear the voice of Jesus, and we will find in him all that we need. Amen.